Hello everybody, this is Paul Miller, and you're listening to the Tuna Town Talks podcast, located in Venice, Louisiana, the fishing capital of the world. Alrighty guys, welcome to another episode of Tuna Town Talks. I'm here today with Tina and Naylin. What What's y'all's last name? Patel. Patel, okay. And uh, I wanted to have um, you guys on the show today just to... Uh, Talk a little bit about like you guys' experience down here in Venice and like what all you guys are actually doing down here um, and uh, what you guys think of this place and just I kind of want to know more about um, how you uh, educate Nailing just for the listeners to know you and Nailing came down here to Venice and you guys travel doing all sorts of types of things uh, mainly around fishing because Nailing you're seven years old and fishing is your school right? That's what you like to do? <laughs> I, all I came here down for is fishing. Really? What you think about it so far? Already for one day. <laughs> Amazing. Amazing, yeah. This is your first time to Venice? Yeah. Awesome, yeah. awesome. How did you hear about Venice? YouTube. <laughs> YouTube. <laughs> one second. <laughs> so, uh, Tina, tell, you know, tell us a little bit about, like, um, how how like where all you guys have been fishing so far and how you guys kind of what we were all just talking about before we started this but uh how like what's your intent on taking nailing fishing and what's the what's the purpose behind it i don't have an intent aside from to be completely present for whatever the current experience brings for him and i fully trust that in every experience there is um, a message in which we will be guided on what is next and we'll follow that. Whether it is related to fishing, directly related to fishing, many times it's also related to the people we're meant to meet on this journey, you know? And that's been a fascinating experience for um, us because while we thought we were on a journey to pursue his passion in fishing i'm as a as somebody who's just a vehicle for it and observing everything that is occurring i'm finding that a lot of our experiences are yielding incredible connections with him and people we would have never met before or both of us and those people or myself and a particular person you know and these connections are um so Um, They defy any kind of judgment um, or preconceived conception or perception we may have had of people, place, experiences, any of that, you know. Um, And so in that regards, in terms of intent, we're just, you know, fully present and open-minded about all possibilities that exist for us. um, And we will travel to seek those out. In terms of our purpose, um, that also is evolving. Um, We started off with a very simple purpose, and that is a couple years ago, we were wrapping up. How long have you guys been doing the fishing? Like you guys said that. Two and a half years. Two and a half years. That's when you saw some YouTube videos and you really decided you wanted to start fishing, right? Yeah. Say yes. Because there's only people that's only hearing it. (laughs) Yes. And um, so, and Naylan, chime in whenever you want. Yeah, Um, absolutely, buddy. So, uh, yeah, it's been for two and a half years and we were on a, uh, uh, family camping trip, RV trip. We were coming back and he said to his dad, why are we going back home? 
um, I st I'm not ready to go back home. And, um, you know, his dad said, well, we have to go back. You know, we have to go to work. And that evening, I really thought about his question because sometimes children ask the most simple question, but with a very profound um, uh, intention. It's just maybe they don't have the language to ask it in that way. And as I sat with that question, I thought, you know, it is true from his perspective. Why do we have to go back? Because there's no sense, rhyme or reason that would validate why he would have to return. Maybe why I have to return. Maybe why his dad would have to return. But why would he have to return? You know, yeah. and um, he said when we were this is on our way home, he said, I don't understand because home is everywhere. And that really hit me that you're absolutely right. Why should you, and for that matter, any child be taught to um, uh, to stay in one place and all of life means that commitment is this, un we believe commitment is this attachment to things, but really it's a very unhealthy attachment to things, to our house, to uh, this false sense of security we believe in. When there is so much security in everything, in all things that are changing, yeah. the security in change, yeah. you know, but yet we, and that's not how I wanted to raise him. When he said that, I thought, oh gosh, I cannot, I understand what he's asking. I think I understand, but there was a message in that question and that was why should he be made to believe that our home is this one place when really um that is our home and we can take it everywhere we go tell him ab about the book we read this morning about the snail what is the snail's home a shell uh-huh and everywhere that snail goes it takes its shell with it right and without using a truck or something yeah and we were reading this book about the snail and, you know, the first thing he said, it's kind of like us, you know, and we're the snail's body and our home is that and that's our shell. And we travel everywhere and we go with that. She's pointing at the camper. So you guys are traveling in a camper. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And uh, um, and it's so it's so freeing. It's so liberating when we think of that is as life, you know, that now, oh, wow, we can take all the things we have that we need, that we want, you know, that is home and we can make it mobile. We can take it with us everywhere we go. And that has become the vehicle for all the greatness we're experiencing in fishing, in humanity, in um, uh, understanding our planet. You know, um, it's big. It's it's so big oh, it to discuss. You know, vast. yeah, it's, it's a vast. Huge, yeah, yeah, huge conversation. Yeah. For sure. So, to the purpose of it, like I said, is constantly evolving. But when we started, it was what? Well, home is everywhere, and that is so true. Home yeah. is everywhere, and furthermore, so is our classroom. You know, and that got me thinking. Then why should he go to school? I mean, I already knew he would not go to school, but I uh, has he ever been to a public no, private school? Daycare. He's never been to daycare. He's never been to school. <laughs> <laughs> Do you want to go to school? No. Why? <laughs> why does a teacher tells you to learn something while you're outside mm -hmm. when outside can teach you better stuff? <laughs> it's a good concept. <laughs> I think uh I was a little lost in there. 
<laughs> but you translated that very well. No, yeah. but that's, you know, there's like a lot of research that says that uh, nature, being out in nature yes. helps your like cognitive ability. Yes. Sensory. Brain development. Yes. All that kind all of, of stuff. All of it. I, I believe 100%. I yeah. Mean, that's where we're supposed to be, right? Yeah. <laughs> and play, you know. Yeah. So yeah. you have, if we're going to honor <coughs> childhood, um, it is, it's the, vo- you know, when you think about children, they have the capacity to explore vastness yeah. without inhibition. When you think of adults, they want very small yeah. and they're easily inhibited, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. And wow. yet from our lens, we're trying to raise children. How unfitting. Yeah, it's, you not, know? Yeah, it's not the right. <laughs> it doesn't seem like a mold, yeah. you know, yeah. uh, that that they would fit in. So. Yeah. Um, I think that that's, you know, whenever you're growing up and you're a young kid, having that um, ability to grab onto something and just go with it as far as you can. You know, a lot of people don't have that. You know, a lot of times it's a team sport or something like that. But, you know, being able to just dive off into fishing like he is at such a young age, I mean, that's – I just see how obsessed you get at young age with things. Yes, and that's n- that that's obsession – That's really good. You that like is it. really good. Yeah. You know, we, we look at that obsession as really I, – I think what I'm hearing you say this um, – so I believe that many of us, the most of us parent from – either the parents we had or the parents we wish we had, Mm -hmm. you know, like what we were lacking, what we really would have needed. I know for me, it's a, it's a, it's a mixture of both, but it's a lot of what I didn't have or where I was more misunderstood, you know, because I was very passionate and I have still now, but if I look back at my childhood, a very obsessive personality. I knew exactly what I wanted and man, I was die hard about it, you know, yeah. and you couldn't change my mind. What did you want at the time? Well, um, I grew up in Kenya, in East Africa, and my childhood, uh, it's not a dream as in fantasy. Really? But you guys grew up in India? I Ke- Kenya. In Kenya. Yeah. So when I say dream, not as if it was a fantasy it was very real to me that I would one day grow up and um, work to protect um, elephants from being poached. So that was f- ever since what I could they remember. What do to elephants? They poach them. But what does poaching mean? What does poaching mean? Getting them? Yeah. For what? Blubber? Uh, what else? Meat? Uh, not the meat. They're tusks. They kill them for ivory and then they use that for jewelry or... Anything else? Uh, no, most people don't really use the hide. It's just the tusks. Uh, so anyway, so for, and and then when we moved from Kenya to here, my parents didn't tell us we were moving to the United States. They said we were coming on vacation. And then two days before we were supposed to go back, that's when they told us we were going to wake up early to go and take an entrance exam at a school. Then Daddy, I won the green lottery. Green card lottery. <laughs> yes, exactly. And how right. old were you at the time? I was 16. Oh, wow. And um, so uh, at a very obviously fragile and sensitive age. But for me, um, the distraught that I and distress that I felt was... Um, because I felt I was being um, really torn away from something, a place that had everything that I wanted and I knew my place, you know? I knew why my core, why my being existed on this planet. 
I know that sounds like how could a child know, but all children have that sense of knowing. Adults don't because we have lost that. You lose it. You lose that. You lose you know? that drive, that that, that uh, inspiration. That, yeah. You know, yeah. The, the thing that exists in your cells, like you believe in this so much, you know why you even came onto this planet. And I believe that's how I look at him. When it came to fishing, there's no, it's not my place to question. It's, it's my place to trust and know that he knows. Yeah. You know, yeah. and he knows because it comes so easy to him. You see, a lot of what I have done professionally came very easy to me because I pursued a path of my knowingness. But before I took that decision and matter into my own hands and became um, and, and, and became um, I'd say almost aggressive, like so protective of this is what I want, you know, despite anything else. I don't want him to have to um, approach his passion, his knowingness, what his role on this earth is for, from a place of anger. I want him to do it from a place of love because I did it from a place of anger and I know what I have accomplished. But if I had accomplished it from a place of love, it would be even more monumental than what it is now. I wasted a lot of energy through aggression, through anger, through fighting, you know, through climbing obstacles that really should not have existed, you know, um, challenges that were presented just because to deviate my path, you know, and so on and so forth. And I look at all that and think, whether it's a parent from a parent doing it, a neighbor doing it, a teacher doing it, the world doing it, I'm not putting him amongst people who are going to question his path. I'm going to put him in front of people who are in awe and, and support. then support. Yeah. Well, I have to take him into these fishing communities because only they'll understand. Yeah. You yeah. know, and that's exactly what this has been about. So oftentimes people will say, you know, um, man, he's so incredible or he, you know, whatever, however they say it. And I thank every single person, including what you saw in him, which is why we're here, who, f you know, seed and fuel because that within him, because everything that he is, is coming from a place of love, you know, a place of very deep passion. Like it's, it's very real to him that he can explore fishing and learn. Yeah. And he will argue, you know, like <laughs> the other day, Naylan, remember, you're right. You wouldn't argue. Um, <laughs> um, but remember the other day when a boat pulled up and they had that massive swordfish and there was all these men and you and uh, you, you're like, all right, guys, let's guess how much is this fish going to weigh? And you got them all guessing how much it's going to weigh. And what was your first guess? 175. And what was... What were their guesses? What were some of the other guesses they had? I don't know. So they were all over the map, right? Right, right. They went and weighed the swordfish. It was, how much was it? 176. 176. <laughs> and you know, it was so funny because... That's awesome. Yeah, it was so funny because the men behind, they're like, yeah, okay, so it's beginning to make sense why, why he doesn't need school. I said, yeah, because this is math. <laughs> he beat you all to it, and he's within a pound. And he's been doing that, you know? He started off really... Uh, it, yeah, he started off in, like, 
imprecise you know like he was way all over the place kinda, um, yeah. i wouldn't say all over the place but just figuring out his bearings because this is his first time yeah at oh, it, Venice I, it with takes this it takes some time to uh to get acclimated without especially certain shapes of fish and stuff and how well, they'll like actually this size weigh. of fish yeah. we've not been around yeah you yeah. know <laughs> so for him it the first few days at the marina was like just an assessment you know um i but thought it's incredible like I always think it's so incredible being down there at the marina and how how many like how many fish come in there and stuff. There's really no other place like it. You no, know what I mean? Variety and and diversity. for a kid his for a kid like Nalen that that is obsessed with fish and stuff, it's just like a the ultimate playground. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it has been awesome. <laughs> and you know, one of his other passions is cooking. Really? Yeah. That's so awesome. Me too. I oh, do, yeah? I do fishing and cooking, yeah. Ah. <laughs> and birding. He loves I don't cook a lot in Venice, so a lot of people down here don't know. When I go home, I cook a lot with my wife and stuff. Oh, and cool. I love that. Yeah. <laughs> well, he also loves birds and watching birds. But You know, a lot of people would say that, like, uh, you know, just fishing might not be enough education. Like, a lot of families that I've grown up around, and maybe even some of my family would say that you need a lot of education, you know? You need a lot of books, like what do you do you guys do a lot of that as well or well since he was born we've always read to him so um we've always read three books in the morning three books before bed and he used to take naps so as soon as he would wake up from his nap we would read three books and we've kept up with that and that's not part of education or well obviously it educates him but it's part of i look at education as development i don't look at education as um something that we are responsible for um doing to children or offering children uh that um it's it's not a it shouldn't be forced upon you should love it right you should love it well, yeah, it, well, if, if, we, if they love it, then we are really doing it right, right? But I think that to educate somebody um, means to teach. Mm-hmm. And for me, to teach means that w- somebody is deciding teach what. That's what is unreasonable to me because I don't think we get to decide teach what i think each individual gets to decide what they want to learn if they are if we're all in the making of greatness of our own unique brilliance and greatness if we're in the development of reaching our potential potentiality our greatest potential ability then you should know what that is. And I have to drive you further and further in that. My responsibility comes in giving you access to those resources you need to better yourself, not to deny you of those resources. You know, if you had a child who was just naturally brilliant in a sport not made to be brilliant not put into these leagues and burnt out like and made to excel fishing is your league okay different types of league for different types of people yes there are um but mine is fishing well fishing and cooking well let's talk about another kind of sport like football 
Football. Okay? I love football. He's very good um, at, at football. At and I think he's very good at any sport, but that's because of his agility and physical presence and motor skills and um, reflexes, you know, because his whole life he's played, you know. So he's very aware his in his body. body. Yeah. yeah. Which I think is why... He's so good at even casting and sometimes these precision casts, you know, that Or have to land. Even hard, harder reels to do. I can't even do it. Like big casters, for, ex for example. Yeah, that was uh, when he was five. He picked up a bait caster. He's like, I got it. And the man was so worried. And the man's like, oh, God, if you bird nest this. He's like, I know what bird nesting is. I didn't even know what it was, but some <laughs> through some YouTube video. So he casted that <laughs> and he got it. But the time... You know, because he plays so much mm -hmm. uh, um, and he's so active and he's never been um, um, restricted from knowing his body. And we don't look at movement as something so unhealthy, something we need to interrupt. We look at it as, wow, this is how much movement he needs to feel optimal and to feel healthy. Everything else that we, we, if we don't offer him the capacity for this much movement, which is what he needs, that means we're stifling him. So we've had to figure out our benchmarks for what we need to allow for. And I'm going to give you an example. I remember when he was much younger and he's always been very active. Like he will utilize all the space that he has access to, but he's also very brilliant in a small space like this and very aware of all the things that are in his environment that he needs to, like yesterday, he somersaulted from here to here, you know, and he needed to do ma manipulate around this corner, you know. <laughs> so For everybody listening, we moved into their uh, camper trailer. It's a really cool place too. You guys got stuff in here from everywhere you've been in this yes <laughs> yes two and a half years worth right no actually that's a whole nother uh this is all relatively new when we got back home we had taken it to um camping world to get some things fixed and my husband said you, you please just promise you have the ac running because if you kill her plants or this <laughs> wallpaper all in here <laughs> yeah or this wallpaper starts bubbling she will kill me and sure enough they did not have the air conditioning running when he picked it up all the plants were dead and all the wood and everything was on the ground dang yeah so <laughs> this is start all over again from this year oh wow <laughs> looks like a lot of work <laughs> uh, so more than that eight hours more than that i can say yeah <laughs> constant so anyway um yeah so I, I, I'm not sure where, where we are at this point, but uh, there's just so much. We're, we're talking about the difference between, like, for us in education and, you know, learning. He's learning all the time. Yeah. So are we. We're mm. learning all the time, too. If we're in lively classrooms and not sterile places, we're learning even more, yeah. you know? And so what I notice in him is the activation of his senses, not just sight and auditory, which are what gets exercised a lot in a classroom setting, but all his senses and his whole body is really aware of the sensations around him, which yeah. is why 
if I was a betting person, even with you as a professional, I would say he would know, he would respond to a fish on a line faster than you would. <laughs> I mean, he's Why? really that good at picking up and he'll sometimes be, today we're on the dock, his back is facing this way, but he senses this tip going down and sure enough, it wasn't even his rod. And the person standing right in front of it didn't notice, but he noticed. Yeah. And um, so... I notice things like that and I think, wow, this is really working. Yeah. This is really working. He's, this good, is he's really getting working. good, right? Yeah, he's yeah. getting good. You know, yeah. like, wow. I'm this already is really good. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're already good. Um, but that's not what we meant that he's getting good. What we meant is, what I meant at least is sometimes we as the adults need validation. We need to know that what we're doing is working. And those types of instances are validation for me that this could not have been created in any other way. Yeah. This is working. Yeah. You know? A lot of what you were saying about like, you know, knowing who you are, and, you know, fulfilling who you are. My parents have always supported like my ambitions since mm. a very young age. And I'm very grateful of that. But my dad, whenever I was real young, he was part of the, uh, the Mississippi Gulf coast, um, uh, artificial reef program. So mm. every month we would have to go out, and uh, survey the reefs. So we would go down and dive them, video them, and then every month we would write a report and go to the uh, to the meeting where they, we would talk about the reefs and which ones are doing better and stuff. And I didn't really realize it at the time. <clears throat> whenever he was doing it, it was kind of like a way for him to help pay for boat gas and stuff. Mm. And, but like, what a great like thing that was for me because it developed like such a passion for the water and then also like you know making more reefs and that kind of thing and it's I don't know like I, I think that I value all throughout all the education that I've had no matter what it is I, I value the the ones that you have like through experiences mm -hmm. that's I mean I think that you said the other day that everybody learns through experiences you yeah. know we all think that we learn through different ways but it's you know, if you're reading a book, that book might captivate you. That is, that's an experience yes. in itself, reading yes. that book, you yeah. know. Um, or you can, you might not have an experience reading a book because you can't relate to it. Or nothing um, helps you formulate an understanding of what you are either being read or what you're reading. Like it doesn't make sense to you yeah. because you don't have an experience to attach to that. Yeah, you know? you're right. Yeah. And <laughs> I don't want that to to f go further on that point i don't want his learning to come from experiences that other people have attached an to understanding him, to yeah. yes so that's why i want this to be experiential learning a platform from which he's learning through his own experiences yeah. because when he's learning through his own experiences so many times at night when we are done reading and we have uh, we're just sitting and we're just having a conversation or sometimes he'll say, you know, mom, let's write a story. I'm going to do one sentence. You do another sentence or whatever, you know. Yeah. Yes, go ahead. Go ahead, buddy. <laughs> um, so, uh, you know, when you think about when you think about um, what experiential learning is or experience-based learning, I don't want him to learn from my experiences. I want him to have his own experiences. And, learn and from then those. for us to have conversations about what my experience was, what his experience was, because then we're both learning yeah. about the 
see, this is where I think the bandwidth grows. You know, now we you brought in a perspective I did not have or I did not experience. I shared with you a perspective you did not have. And then together, it just becomes that much more exponential. And you guys both learned. Yeah. I think yeah. that's both. I think that's extremely important for people to like learn together. Yes. Like as a family. Yeah. As a, you know. Yeah. Friend or whatever. Yeah. That's super important. And through that process, I find out how much I don't know. Yeah. You know, and even that, even through my own experience, how unattentive I really was compared <laughs> to him. And I'm like, oh, well, wow, I didn't really notice that, you know. Yeah. Um, so it's it's just magnificent in that sense. And my wife is a teacher. And uh, one of the things that I, I used to go to the same same school district that she now teaches at. And one of the things they always do is they per- push for more and more technology within the schools, you know, more more kids having their own iPads, their own computers and stuff. And a lot of people would say that's a great thing. A lot of really well, smart people would say that's a great thing. I, I tend to disagree a little bit. I think that we need to kind of – everything in moderation, right? You can't completely – you know what I mean? YouTube well, the way I see that – in a certain sense. But, like, what do you do to regulate how much – technology well involved. i'll answer that question but what really came up for me first when you were talking about technology th- what the question is why you know why are we moving more towards a technological based learning environment and uh we find that through use of these technologies we can become more and more absent we can create more and more space for all the other things we have to do so i get asked i get told not asked i get told a lot wow you're so lucky to be able to do this for him. Or he gets told a lot, you're the luckiest kid. This is not about luck. <laughs> we didn't play the lotto for this. No, you, know? you guys worked hard. <laughs> um, and it's a choice. It's yeah. a decision. There's many Very sacrifices. Yeah. yeah. It's about learning. And there are many sacrifices behind the scene that happen for us to be able to do this. But most, first and foremost, compare this that we are doing to a pl- it's it's just a platform this is a platform by which we're teaching him right so technology is a platform by which we can also teach this child here this is not convenient no <laughs> that is very convenient so what people really ignore in their perception of the grandness of what we're doing and the greatness and the funness you know they ignore how inconvenient this actually is and how much work it is. Yeah. But I'm fully committed to whatever it takes. In this regards, we're not fully committed to what it takes. Right. We are always looking for ways to make children more and more independent of us not independent in the sense that they are able to do it on their own, but where we become less and less involved. I'm not looking to have a less involving relationship with my child. I wouldn't have had a child. I'm looking to be very involved with my child Mm -hmm. um, for many reasons. You know, it's so hugely fulfilling because for one, I'm fulfilling him in a way that I wanted to be fulfilled. So to me, there's healing in that too. Second, I want, you know, if I'm going to use any word, I'll say this is also fun for me because it's an experiment. How fun that I can say, I actually get to decide and choose and experiment with you. (laughs) 
um, on what works and what doesn't work and nobody else has a say. Yeah. And sometimes my husband, his dad doesn't have a say either. You know, yeah. because because <laughs> you guys are on the road, right? <laughs> well, the, uh, talk about that a little bit, because I know you you guys are into uh, tell them what you what your husband does uh, the work and all. Well, actually, he was his dad was stay at home dad with him for the first five years. Oh, and really? Then, yes. The yeah. first five years, your dad is that you? Yeah. So you worked and. Well, uh, okay. So um, when he was eighteen months, I got hospitalized, mm-hmm. and. Um, I was in ICU and did they didn't know if I was going to make it or not. And really? at that time, yeah, I, he was breastfed at that time. He had wow. never had solids in his life. And overnight, his dad had to take over and there's no milk. I never pumped, you wow. know, so there was no breast milk and he had to go straight from um, being breastfed to now being introduced solids. So, um, no, you've never had cow milk, nut milk. Yeah. Uh, nut milk, um, yogurt, which is c- cow milk, yeah. Um, yogurt he, is cow milk? Yeah, you make it from, no, um, uh, fermented. Oh. Yeah. Um, so, anyway, so he, so when he when I got hospitalized, his dad took over, and then when I got out of the hospital, I wasn't, com- you know, I wasn't, ba- like, normal. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I developed autoimmune conditions. Mm-hmm. And so for... Um, the first year, I was almost bedridden, um, wow. really unable to do anything that I was doing normally, and it's taken me about four years to get to where I ha- where, where I am now. And um, so, when he turned five, I said, "Look, you know, you have him till five, um, but if I'm feeling good and I'm feeling better when he turns five or six, then I'm taking over." And so. The businesses were we are in, we never have run them as um, an employee-staff um, relationship. You know, to us, um, we are all a team, and we've always run our businesses um, with our team as benefiting all of us as a whole, not mm-hmm. me as an individual, our family as a family, and everyone else lesser or next in line. You know, right. everybody's equal. Everybody's equal. And we um, also internally have a very different um, relationship about ownership. We don't own our dogs, which is why we can give them more freedom. Our dog's not even here. She's outside doing her <laughs> thing. We also don't own our children. You know, they are their own individual and we must honor them as them, their own individual self. So our team is the same way. And so we have... Um, you know, uh, we're very, very grateful for the people who are on our team who have, wor- you know, we've worked as a team for many, many years. And so um, when... What type of business? So um, we have a dog grooming shop. Um, and then our main um, business is uh, called Dog Lando. And it's an enrichment center for dogs. So people drop off their dogs during the day and then pick them up in the evening. But it's unlike a daycare in the sense that um, it's all experience-based. So what we're looking to do is give the pet dog the experiences of a street dog where they can make, they have the freedom of choice, they have the freedom of expression, and they have the freedom of space. So our dogs are on six acres, off-leash. They're learning how to communicate cooperate um uh with one another um 
and given we're, we're giving them the trust in their knowing of how to resolve conflict with each other rather than us stepping in the way and enhancing or adding to the tension that they already have it's really it makes better sense that um you know when you're there in person and you get to see it but if you look out the window here's these two dogs just on this property um doing their own thing they've shared fish together without yeah. conflict you know um they this is what they do they play a lot you know they drink out of the same bowl and they met when we arrived you know so it's not like they had that relationship before but their relationship is when they are when, when we arrived but their relationship was formed as a result of non non-threatening uh mm-hmm. communication between the two because both of them know how to communicate like dogs with dogs really well you know and um so anyway so how long have you guys had that open that's really cute. um since 2003 oh wow did you start it yes wow yeah so that's when awesome. yeah really so cool. when we when 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 uh i said this is the journey i wanted to go on with nailan like i said it came from that conversation about him saying home is everywhere and uh the first thing i did i didn't go and ask his dad if that was okay to do i went to our team and said hey this is what it is you know and they they know my my philosophy they know how i wished to parent at that time they you know they very we've had so many amazing conversations so they know me better than you know many many people who are very close to me who might even be family you know mm-hmm. and so i sat them down and i said look guys this is what's happening this is what i feel um we need to do for nailan for a long time yeah <laughs> um so i said this is what i feel that my obligation to nailan would need to look like how do you all feel and they said we're behind you 100% go do it and i said well this is what it would take and uh they said okay go do it you know and yeah and so that's how we started with their blessing we you know went i ahead with it, huh? yeah went ahead with it and um uh the rest is all just the the material you know it's the okay well we now need to buy a camper you yeah. know so all that is really insignificant i think people make their decisions based on that level first well we don't have a camper it's going to cost this much da, 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 da. that wasn't the issue not because money was not the issue it was an r- differently allocating the resources we have we could spend that in this way or we could do it listen like to him yeah. in what he needs and do it this way it's just dif- allocating it differently time is also that valuable resource we need to allocate differently i could be in orlando spending this time with him mm-hmm. in this way it would never yield this yeah you it know? would never be this significant it would never be this significant um so um all you know all our resources and and the same thing is you know i've really really value i've put my career on hold i have um put um and i wouldn't say on hold but i have accepted that my job right now in this moment in the in in, in this moment of my lifetime is to prioritize him 
everything else, if it's still there when I'm done with him or when he's done with what I can provide, um, if it's still there, maybe I'll pick up where I left off and maybe I won't. Yeah. You know, and I'm really seeing I won't because I too have really grown through this journey to know what is next for me and what is next for our team and what is next for all of us, you yeah. know, um, in life. I think I think the universe will definitely throw something in your way that's going to be like, you know, just like the next thing. You know, this is what we should. Well, it already has. Now, so. You know, <laughs> it, it's funny you bring that up. It already has, because last year we were in Georgia. We were in a state park there. And he said, as we were going to bed, he said, Mom, um, and I'm just telling you the short version of it. He said, um, why, don't, uh, why don't more children have this opportunity? And I said, what opportunity? Was it in Georgia? Yeah, it was in a um, General Coffee State Park. Or Appling, Georgia. Uh, I think we left Appling. Or maybe you're right, I'm not sure. He knows where he was. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> um, so he said, well, why don't more children have um, this opportunity? So I said, what opportunity? Because I didn't want to jump into his thought with what I thought he was thinking. Remember, I remember that's what you did. Can you tell me more? When it comes to your mind, let me know. Um, uh, so we discussed why, you know, more children might not have this opportunity. Um, and he said, well, why don't you have more children? And I said, I can't. And so I ex we had the conversation about that. And he said, yeah, you can. I said, oh, how? And he said, open a school in Kenya. And that really, like, I felt that through every bit of my body every organ every cell in my body because I've had since moving from Kenya I've had a yearning to do something and reconnect and give back and whatever I don't really know what it was but I've had this yearning you know that it has been quite disruptive to me um, because I've not been able to meet it I didn't know what it looked like and I realized oh my gosh he is the voice behind w this message that like what's meant to happen mm -hmm. and here's my moment I need to listen to it and um, what he was expressing is that there are children who don't have uh, uh, access to school let's begin with them let's give them experiences that they can have that will teach them just like it's teaching him mm -hmm. but that are better than school well I didn't think of that that there are so many kids who don't have school why build a school right there and force them into that system anyway why not provide them with these experiences that exist in their backyard you know that are so accessible to them imagine some of the children over here instead of building a school here why can't the marina become their school off not for not because it's for every kid but as a native if this is what you knew and this is what your ancestors you know grew up with yeah. there's something in your blood that you this is you, you yeah. know, but you don't have the resources, the money to get that fishing pole or to get a boat or whatever, you know, but you have the know-how, you know how to clean that fish, you know what that fish that is, you know how to what bait or whatever, Th that knowledge is there. So as we talked about that, um, I started understanding what I think he was saying and I thought, oh my gosh, this is it. Well, 
every night we were having more and more of this conversation and then all of a sudden i have a friend on facebook who i've we've probably been friends for a very long time but we've never communicated and he is involved he's a, a samburu he, he's part of the samburu um tribe in kenya and he is a um a scientist a field researcher for uh, leopards and um he tagged me on a photo that i didn't take but he my name ambrose ambrose he just tagged me on that photo and he meant to tag another person whose name is also spelt with t e e okay so the beginning and i said well i'd love to take credit for this but i didn't take it and that was our first conversation my conversation with ambrose and i thought who is this man let me go onto his facebook page well was it scam no no <laughs> no uh the day before Other- when Ambrose sended something it looks like scam until you noticed until i noticed yeah and um the the day before he uh um uh put up a post about his dream of working with children and this is what we were talking about and i said well we have an idea and the very next day after i wrote on his post what our idea was um no thank you uh the very next day he called fr- on facebook i had never received a call through messenger that way and i was like who's calling and i normally don't answer you know f- numbers i don't recognize but i picked it up and we had a 6 hour conversation 6 hours 6 hours wow. and by the time we were done the wildlife conservation resource center was born right the school that he the idea that he had for the type of program that was created and now we have a soccer team called that he created a boys soccer for these masai uh, warriors um and through sports to learn about conservation and to learn about protecting the wildlife that exists in their backyard so instead of you know there's so so how does the school exist is it like is it is it like an online thing that you guys No 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 so basically what we it's all still developing but mm-hmm. our goal is to um so the first thing we had to do by the way is bring internet there because if he didn't have access to internet then we could not continue to communicate so we got him internet um uh now there's a lot of different things that have happened but the most recent um the most recent just leave it on the counter for now the most recent it's around your mic oh you're good the most recent um most recent accomplishment has been um we purchased a vehicle a safari vehicle um so for Ambrose so that he can start taking um five boys at a time on safaris now this is a big deal because that's the, so awesome yeah so think about it this is such a big deal for that community because these boys um normally at 6 they're a pastoralist community which means they um they uh have the shepherds so they have livestock and they are semi nomadic so they walk their livestock and typically um wildlife has evolved to recognize them as threat so they'll stay away so they don't really ever have they've never really seen wildlife the way a tourist comes and sees wildlife see it, right, you know yeah. and there are 
uh, it's a tribal community. It's the same thing around here. Like I meet people that live down here all the time and have never seen tuna, never seen blue water before. You know what I mean? But and that's they what should. everybody it's beautiful. And, and that's what everybody down like comes, comes here to see. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's, it's In bananas fact, kind of. It is. It is. And we need to change that. You know, yeah. the other day we were sitting at the marina and I was talking to Ray Cherie. Um, mm-hmm. Cherie, yeah. Yeah. I, uh, yeah, I was talking to her and I was like she you know, she was telling me how um uh, impoverished the community here is mm-hmm. and how children have there's no camps there's no extracurricular activities for them there's no programs that they can go and explore you know um, some interests that they have so look we're talking about the same thing experiential interest-based learning mm-hmm. they have a school yet that's not keeping these kids off methane no. and whatever else they're on yeah. you know because that's not their interest yeah. you know we need interest-based programs mentors don't get me wrong i don't i don't think that like maybe this is for everybody but i think there's so many people in this world we have to have multiple different types of learning like everybody's got to find their way of wanting to learn if if you feel like school academia is like your way to go by all means go for it there's like medicine (laughs) to me it's like medicine Okay. Why do you say I'm going to compare it and I bet there's going to be a lot of people who strongly object to this uh, analogy. But school is like medicine. There's a place for it. Mm-hmm. It's not for everyone. Right. Medicine was not for me when I got diagnosed for autoimmune. In fact, it made it so much worse. Really? Yeah. I had to go through a treacherous path of getting off of all of that and then getting onto Eastern medicine and all these alternative medicines to get onto where I am now. I live with symptoms, but these are symptoms I can live with. Right, right. You know? Um, but, and I'm going to use another example. He was a home birth. Okay. Really? Wow. Well, there's, it shouldn't be shocking. Women yeah, shouldn't on this planet shocking. have given birth their whole, you My know. My dad's brother did that. Yeah. But this is how we. But bring. I wasn't shocking when I was born. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no. Exactly right. Not even crying. Exactly no. right. Peaceful. Oh. No. Peaceful entry into oh, this like, world, right? No, 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 no. Yeah. Joy from the beginning. <laughs> You're right. That shouldn't be that crazy, though. But it so, really but shouldn't. isn't isn't it necessary if your if the pregnancy requires medical care, then that should be the path. But pregnancy is not part of medicine. It is not a medical um, issue, so to speak. It should not be treated as such. Yeah. You know, it's a biological mechanism biological process biological occurrence our body knows what to do in that state in that phenomena in that we you know we are wired to know to do that or what what how we should follow our breath or you know the position we need to be in so on and so forth but that doesn't mean that when complications arise there's no place for medicine we're so grateful that as a result of medicine Births that could not have been had are were able to have those type of births, you know. So in that sense, hold on one second, Elin. In that sense, I feel that school is very similar. There is, school has a critical and immensely valuable place for those type of learners who thrive from that kind of platform but statistically speaking it's not the majority 
Yeah, I don't think so. I think that's why you see a lot of kids with so many attention problems. Mm-hmm. It's because they're not supposed to be. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, they're clinically or, diagnosed with attention problems. I mean, I was at a young age. It's a, No, it's because my dad gave me an avenue to go out on the water. Yeah. And that's probably what I would rather be doing. You yeah. Know? Or, and I think what's worse is not even just the... Uh, the, the um, uh, l- how we diagnose attention, but I think that the worst is to grow up into a teenager early, be in your early 20s and just not knowing what you want to do with your life when you really that's, knew that from the beginning. That's I, I, that's one of the most, uh, I know a lot of people will probably terrify me saying this, but that's one of the most aggravating thing is if I have like a 15 to 20 year old on the boat and you ask them what they want to be, and they, they just have no idea. Yeah, they don't, that's sad. They don't even want to lie, and it's yeah. like you have so much to live for. Yeah. Like why, why don't you even have an idea? Because we you know? killed that out of them. They had an idea once upon a time. We never funneled it. Yeah. We never channeled it. We never asked then. And you also got to give them an opportunity to have that. Yeah. Too, you know. Yeah. Like I mean, I guess I guess YouTube. You saw a YouTube video, right? And that's. Yeah, and I also make. I was brave enough to make my own YouTube channel. Yeah? You got a YouTube channel? What's it called? Nibble Bite Catch. What's it called? Nibble Bite Catch. Nibble Bite Catch. Nibble Bite Catch. That's awesome. <laughs> you like doing that? <laughs> what? Well, I'm the one who's supposed to do that, <laughs> and I don't. I'm not very good at that. You said that yeah, you yeah. had a podcast at one time as well, huh? Yeah. Uh, see, this is how great I am with technology. I abandon it right away. <laughs> 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 right away. That's that's really ooh. Thank you. The thank only you thing I uh have have since being here in Venice, uh, diligent in keeping up with is uh his Instagram page. Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> What's his Instagram page? So people Naylan Patel. N a y l a n Patel. Patel. Yeah. And that's you guys can, I guess you post keep posting on all their travels and stuff. Yeah. yeah. And so where all of you guys fished since uh you started this for? Oh. Freshwater, at least Orlando. Orlando yeah, like Park. what? What places though? So this year you wanted to do saltwater. Saltwater, and specifically where? Right here, Venice. <laughs> Venice. But when we started, well, he I didn't know we were going to come here until I saw that fishing video. Yes, <laughs> and they have those big whole car- tuna carcasses. Mm-hmm. 200-pound catfish eat those. <laughs> 200 pounds? Wow. <laughs> <The> carcasses. <laughs> wow. Um, so he, he saw that video. What When we started Orlando, I asked him, well, this year, what are we going to do? Because last year, he wanted to do bass. And so we followed major major, major league, league fa- fi- fishing. Major league NFL. No. A- major league fishing. M- MLF. MLF, yeah. Yeah, Yeah, MLF, Major League Fishing. So you guys went to all the tournaments? Uh, Many of them. Actually, and that's a really fun story. What happened is we were, you know, traveling around, going to state parks, and um, he was huge into bass fishing, and we were in South Carolina, and a big thrill for him was um, we have a deal. When we're driving, any uh, bait and tackle store he sees, we pull over. And I've become. Even if it's a long U turn, no matter yes, what. Yes, it doesn't matter what. Even if it takes a long U turn, 18 point U turn with this rig, <laughs> I'm going to do it. He jumps out, he stops traffic on the middle of the road, we back it up, we're going to stop for these bait and tackles. Yeah. And those turn into, I don't know, two hour, three hour long experiences because <laughs> some of them are so fun for him. And then when like people. Like, remember? 
that store, that fishing store who made oh, this? Oh, let me tell him about that after I get done with Hunter's store. So, so we stop at these bait and tackle stores. Love and there's, a st- there's a st- story for every one of these bait and tackle stores we've stopped at. <laughs> and um, so, and most of the time he's like, he'll go, he'll scope out what they have. Um, and then he'll say, okay, mom, for this area, this is what is good. Because he, I guess, makes this decision based on what they, is very popular, you know, uh, or what he sees a lot of in the shop. Then when these people start coming in, he's there talking to them. Did you go out fishing today? Planning a trip tomorrow? What are you planning on catching? What are you going to use? He's huge into artificials. He even makes his own artificial lures and stuff. Yeah. We have a microwave in the car. We have soft, like liquid plastic gels, colors, (laughs) scents, every, yeah. So he makes a lot of molds, all of that. He makes all that. So um, anyway, um, so we stopped at this, um, we were in South Carolina, stopped at this bait and tackle and I just, I was so tired from driving and I just sat down on the floor and I was like, oh, this is going to be ours. But I just sat there and he's talking to, you know, people coming in and this man comes out from behind the counter. Oh no, I'm good. Nalan, <laughs> this man comes out from behind the counter and he says... I wanted to pay him because he's being so nice here. One dollar. Uh, this man comes out from behind the counter and he says, is that your son? I said, yeah. He said... Because I am so into fishing. Yeah, he said, uh, how does he know that much? I said, he's so into fishing. And this is what we do. He says, well, my name is Hunter and I fish for Clemson's bass team. I want to take him out. And I was like, what? He's Whoa. like, yeah. And I said, well, we are not that far from our destination, but we're supposed to be staying in this park over here on Lake Kiowi. He said, oh, that's one of the places I fish all the time. That would be so fun. I said, oh, how convenient. Well, anyway, so we met Hunter. Hunter and him became great friends. Hunter would come over and he would either fish, you know, um, at the campground we were staying or take us out on the boat. Introduced him to... Um, uh, this bass fishing and then we just st- he became a huge Clemson fan and so we just followed Hunter wherever he was fishing and he'd say alright have a tournament here on such and such and so we would plan our trip based on the tournament you know <laughs> so we ended up doing that the whole season really and it, yeah and it was so fun and how he, long did that last it was a whole season I it was whole year three or four months or y- how long is the season yeah I don't know um, oh, okay uh, that's one thing. You lose sense of time doing this. <laughs> I have Whoa. no idea. But Whoa. he, um, it was so cool because he had, we would show up and um, we're at these tournaments and he, uh, all these coaches from different universities, you know, are seeing a little kid. And at first they might think, oh, who's this little kid? And then he starts talking. And, an Dalen, and how many, half. how many universities uh, uh cards do you have from coaches to say when you go to college you have a full ride <gasps> with them he has colleges who've said and he's like I'm bass not, fishing yeah I'm i not. have one of my favorite clemson ucf which my dad is a big fan, fan of. of ucf football blue mountain is that a college blue mountain college i think um quite I'm, a f- it, it's so fun you know tiger thingy i believe <laughs> yeah, these co- coaches will just come and they'll be like, here, you know, when you're ready to go to college, you call me. You're going to fish for our college. And just oh, like, <laughs> no, I'm I'm fishing for Clemson. <laughs> Clemson or UCF? I would say Clemson. So, yeah, so that was his that year, uh, first year. And um, 
This year, he said he wanted to do Gulf Coast fishing along the Gulf. So we left Orlando and we've just been following the Gulf Coast until Venice. Really? That's awesome. You guys should check out the... Uh, the I'm, I'm from the Mississippi Gulf Coast, but the Barrier Islands out there. You guys, you guys would think that's... I, I spent a lot of time growing up going out there and going camping you go out there and go camp or whatever but it's really neat because there's barrier islands that go and you can fish and it would be a, a cool place for you guys to check out thank you and see this is how we you know people will always say well you don't have a plan let me just make a note of this uh you don't have a plan um no we don't need a plan because there are people guiding our journey you know just yeah. like you did where they'll say oh you need to check out this yeah. and then that's how we that's that's how I, you know whenever I, I whenever I started fishing I wanted to travel that's all I wanted to do was fish and travel and so oh he's showing me a picture of a tuna he caught while he's down here with uh Captain Joey Davis dang man that's a nice one but um but yeah I would I would go and I like at first I would try and plan everything out you know mm. do this do that and then, I don't know, somewhere along the way, I, I said, I'm just going to go and not yeah. make a plan because I remember one trip, it was like, man, I wish I would have done that. Yes. But if I didn't have this booked, you know, and, and that kind of stuff. And, uh, yeah, I, I slowly basically started going with just a plane ticket. You know? Yes. And that was the coolest thing, especially doing it alone. And you guys are just the two of you. Yes. And everybody, you're never going to find the coolest stuff to do online or yeah. doing your research no. because you're going to find tourist traps and all this you different know, when, stuff. To your point, when we when we left New Orleans to head to Venice, okay, not really sure how, where we were, up the road somewhere, about 25 miles from here. On the side of the road, um, I saw this a uh, whole bunch of men cast netting and he loves cast netting and he's trying to perfect that right so i pulled off the side of the road we had the camper i pull off the side of the road and we go and um it's a whole it's a family multiple families but they're all one big family um from they're originally from honduras, honduras. and and they were cast netting for mullet because they were going to go up the road and they caught at least 90 um 50-pound redfish. Oh, yeah. Those were giant. And 100 at least pound from. Wow. It was massive. Big. Oh, it was three big men trying to carry this thing back <laughs> into the water. It was massive. Anyway, so they were so nice. They're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, the wife spoke English. She's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Come join us. We're going to be going up the road. Come spend the evening with us. And I said, okay. So we cast netted with them. And then followed them all the way to somewhere right here where the school is. Right across from the school is some construction site. And he said, oh, he pulled off the side of the road. He said, you want to leave your truck here and camper here on the road or you want to come? I said, well, what would you do? He said, it's good. You can go. But I didn't really know what a levee was. And, you know, like I all I saw was this big hill. And I thought, well, I can't exactly leave the camper out here, you know. Yeah. So we pulled it up. And um, do you know him? Mm-hmm. He's showing me a lot of pictures, guys, if y'all are wondering why we keep stopping. Oh, yeah. So we um, ended up f pulling the camper over the levee, you know, to this parking lot and a dock on this construction site. They set up a tent. They set up hammocks. They set up their grill, you know, <laughs> and that's it. Like, we just fished with them all evening until he's <laughs> like, Mom, do you want to be setting up in the dark? Because we've had that type of an experience where we've had to show up at a campsite we've never been to and set up in the dark and it's really hard you know 
so the sun was going down it started getting dark and then we left they're like and we went that far from it but so talk about to your point where you're just buying a plane ticket because you don't know what's going to show up that is this we leave you yeah. know and we don't know what our day holds for us mm-hmm. um and we say yes to all the experiences it, it holds for us you know yeah. and you never know where it leads you to and i think that's why i've always recommended it to people that were thinking about traveling alone or they wanted to i, I my first solo trip i think i was 18 and that was the most freeing you know, you you go somewhere and you do exactly what you want. Yeah. I don't know. Growing up in society, you know, they kind of, you feel. Yes. Obligated to do how yeah, they tell exactly. you. Yeah, exactly. And uh, I never went to college, but I felt like that was an extremely educational experience yes. for me. Just traveling, seeing other, wor- other parts of the world, talking to people that have, you know, grown up in a completely different society yes. than you have. Yeah. And getting their perspe- perspective on things. Yes. Yeah widely important yeah. I think you know well and you know I, I look at um, from my lens and not being involved in fishing the way he is but just seeing all of what fishing is you know the other day I was thinking oh my god these people don't even know they're not anglers they're not charter captains they're right now in this moment in time they're an engineer you yeah. know because y- you know you're a boat mechanic you're this you're that like all these things careers you know um uh you're the weather person you know predicting Mm. the forecast or not because of what the uh weather uh, app is telling you but based on the clouds you know Mm -hmm. um uh, there's just there's so many uh professions so to speak all in one oh yeah yeah, it's yeah. a it's entertainment. It's food. It's it's all of it. It's a it's very crazy. very intelligent space to be in. Yeah, you know. And I, and and I think that one of the coolest things that fishing does for kids, um, or really all people, not just not just children, but it gives you a touch of reality as to seeing life and death mm. and, and being in touch with that. I think yeah. is very important. Mm. And so many people lose know how how beautiful life and death is both Mm. equal you know what i mean well okay so describe that process better because i see the beauty in death based on how you treat that living organism when it is dying and when it's dead but on the same regards we have experienced where and this was foreign to me i handled it very differently than he did Mm -hmm. and this made for a very good conversation at night because we had such differences in perspective Mm -hmm. his sounded a lot more mature and mine sounded a lot more emotional Mm -hmm. you know about it yeah but um when we we uh one of our charter captains was a he came from a commercial fishing background and he was just we were going to go out there and we were just going to catch and catch and he didn't care he was snapping live um i i I can't remember his name but remember when we went snapper fish no 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 um what you're you're talking about our walter here yeah no 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 i'm talking about what i was describing is this man um, in uh, Fort Morgan, Alabama. And so for him, it was like snapping these, uh, what were we using? Manhattans or pogies, whatever, live ones, you know, just snapping them. Here it is. That drum. Oh, wow. I didn't catch it, but it was. And um, uh, like so aggressive on the boat and like just slamming the fish, you know, mm-hmm. and just. Uh, a very yeah. it was a little gruesome for you is that what you mean um gruesome i'm not it wasn't like he had no respect yeah lo- like it, no i wouldn't say he had no respect his respect 
he respected differently than I would demonstrate respect. So when you talk about death to him, it was, uh, I didn't, I wouldn't say that he demonstrated respect for the life or the death. When you said fishing is, it connects you with. It gives you an emotional connection to your food. I think mm. a lot of people lose mm. that because you you're so used to I just ordering that. something yes. or yes. buying something. Yes. So whenever you, like if it does make you like I think whenever you kill anything whether it's an animal, I mean a lot of other podcasters talk about this, but there's a moment where it's there's a sad feeling. And then slowly but surely by the time you you're eating it, then it's you see how happy it makes you and how fulfilled and how uh I mean, just imagine being hungry and then finally catching a fish, you know, mm. to eat. We never get to that point anymore. But that's <clears throat> but that's that's fish? the beautiful side. Wow. I caught all of those. <laughs> it's a pile of them. I caught all of those. <laughs> and I think that there's a piece there where uh, what I have witnessed is um, waste, related to waste, you yeah. know, where you are honoring that life and death in a way that, you take everything you can and you're very mindful of even like, for example, the filleting, you know, n to leave those carcasses bare, you know. Mm -hmm. And um, then there's a, the, 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 what goes to the, what feeds the pelican and what feeds the critters at the bottom of the water and the crabbers, you know, those men who come in and get the carcasses to this. It's such an honoring Man. process. Yeah. Crabbers? Mm-hmm. Every <laughs> he's they want they everything want from me. <laughs> yeah, like, come on, I don't get any. I'm it a is, pelicaner. It is. It is good. <laughs> you guys are crabbers. You don't even respect. I'm a pelicaner. pelicaner. <laughs> <laughs> you like playing with the pelicans down there at the marina, huh? Yeah. <laughs> oh god. But yeah, I think uh, you know the 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 just the fact that you know seeing what it means to kill something at an age and then and then eating it i, I think it's just important i just think he's vegetarian it really yes really so um i think that that's a whole nother experience you know when he is uh i have seen him when fish are brought onto the boat and they're tossed into that um the ice so you chest. guys what do you guys do with all the fish that you catch well i eat you eat fish? Fish. Um, but he just finds it great joy to give it to people. Um, and he, like for example, um, he gave a lot of tuna that we caught to the hotel staff down the road because they've just been so lovely to us. When we were at a campground, this campground has laundry facilities, but at the other one we were at didn't. And the hotel let me do laundry there. And they were so wonderful. And he just, it was so... Um, it just it makes his heart sore to be able to give it to people who you know like the um, housekeeping staff they were like we never get to eat tuna well you guys live here you should get to eat tuna hmm. you know we shouldn't yeah. like you come first you know and I thought how amazing that we can give them tuna and then also enjoy it and share in it mm -hmm. you know Naylan why are you a vegetarian is there any reason my mom cheated <laughs> but I was not very vegetarian because I used to eat eggs, chicken broth. I used to make his food in chicken broth, and then he found out it was chicken broth, and so I'm like, <laughs> he's like, no, don't make my food out of chicken broth. Um, oh, but Naylan, 
I made that decision when you didn't you were not able to make it for yourself. Now you can make it for yourself. Why do you choose to still be a vegetarian? Very healthy for my body. If I ate meat, I would not feel good by now. <laughs> He's very big into nutrition and food. He does not <coughs> eat sugar. He doesn't eat processed foods. Really? No. Um that Venice has been very difficult for us for that reason. I bet. It's extremely difficult. Yeah. I'm trying to, it's, you basically can't eat at the marina. <laughs> well, I had, we just went to Whole Foods, you know, and it uh-huh. was an hour and a half trip mm-hmm. just to go there and get all his, um, you know, produce and stuff. And I had to, we have to travel with these coolers outside when we travel. That's the thing we found when we travel to these fishing communities like this that are really remote and they're awesome. But I've had to, differently figure out different ways to store his food and it's uh, this is what i mean there's a lot of other work like convenience yeah. this is not at all about convenience <laughs> you know we don't have the con- in orlando we live like five minutes from a grocery store we run to Publix every day this isn't about that you know yeah so nailing you 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 whenever if you eat meat it just doesn't sit right with you it just makes you feel doesn't make you feel good I can believe that because is there like part of you guys' heritage is a lot mm-hmm. of vegetarians? Yeah. Yeah, I can I could see that. I think that there's a lot of, uh, <laughs> I think that there's a lot of like truth to like whatever your ancestors have ate yes. for a long time. Yes. It's part of your like gut biome. Yes, and I it, strongly believe in that. I think I think there's definitely some truth to that. <laughs> well, I'm vegetarian. Barber just cuts it inch and like four days. <laughs> It grows it back. It grows, grows back. all the way back. Quick, huh? <laughs> <laughs> if I was bald, a little bald, it would be right there. And <laughs> in like eight days, it would be like. So your food <laughs> is, are you saying your what you eat is an indication? Powerful. Yeah, powerful. Very powerful. I think. Uh, yeah, More powerful it, than that. There's like a saying, you are what you eat. <laughs> yes, yes. I, I, I think there's some truth to that as well. It's such an interesting thing because this is like, I don't know, I don't know, somewhere along the way of being a guide, I thought that people should learn through experiences. I don't know why. I think, you know, you take people from days and days and you show them certain things and they learn something and it, and it, and it impacts them. Mm -hmm. And, and then you relate to that from like the impactful experiences that you've had yourself. And I just, I don't know, whenever I met you guys, I was like, man, this is, this is like, <laughs> this is the truth right mm-hmm. here. You know, you, you can, yeah, I, there's certain people that I meet, um, from time to time. I meet a ton of people being a guide and you, you meet certain people that are just searching for the truth. Mm-hmm. And I think that there's so much stuff coming at us all the time, but through technology and different things, a lot of fake stuff all the time. And people really want something they they can believe in and grasp to. And I think fishing does that, like in a lot of ways. So I love and appreciate that um, a lot. And that is very true about what we're seeking. You know, I didn't, there's so many different ways I could have answered your original question (laughs) about purpose. Yeah. But that is what I want to seek for him is the truth. The truth. But he needs to identify it. If I can say this is true, but if it's not true to him. It's true to yourself, the the way that you see it. Yes. And I think that that is the beauty of podcasting because you know um people relate uh, to so many different people and that's and that's why you're starting to see comedians doing really well with podcasts because comedians kind of know who they are themselves mm-hmm. you know and they they uh and i feel like gods are in the same way in mm-hmm. that sense mm-hmm. like and <clears throat> whenever 
you listen to a conversation, like if I were to listen to a conversation, a podcast between two scientists, I would get very bored. Mm. You know, mm-hmm. I can't relate to them. Mm-hmm. But a podcast allows like fishermen to listen to this conversation mm-hmm. because they trust me and what I know, or I hope they do <laughs> anyways. <laughs> and they, you know, get your perspective on it. And I think that that's the beauty of podcasting because whenever you hear conversations from people that you can genuinely relate to, Mm -hmm. it's way more impactful. Mm -hmm. It's way more of an experience. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And talking about the experiences, um, in order to have an experience, you have to be invited into an experience, you know? So, and what I mean by invited, (coughs) there needs to be permission. I think in, uh, ordinary, um, life uh it's very difficult to seek the truth because one you have to sift through a lot of muck to get to the truth which is hard work and a lot of time the second piece of it is that um truth is protected you know in a way or like guarded you know um and that really resonates me with me because when we first started traveling it was uh, before COVID and it was before the elections. And so people would always say family, friends, and just anyone who would hear, you know, that we would even meet, it's just going to be you and him. And you're going to be traveling through some of these areas, like, and labels for those areas. But like just you know? Mexico, even though it's so dangerous. Yeah. Or like, I uh, could you're going to go to Mexico. It's so dangerous. You're going to go to uh, Georgia and Tennessee and like, whatever I don't, red states and this that and the other it is Which, amazing you're you're i mean you're you know out here with you and your son and you're t- towing this camper i mean that's it's impressive it really is a I, lot of people wouldn't have the uh I do a, a lot of people are saying like what you're saying right now it, it would be too hard think, it would be too dangerous no because be see that's the fault no, it's not impressive i wouldn't be impressed on somebody if i saw them doing it it wouldn't impress me a, the slightest bit because i see it as a possibility yeah. You know, right. it's only impressive if you th- see it as impossible. What is so impossible about it? Damn, if you can do it, I can do it. <laughs> yeah. You know, yeah. I see an 80 year old per- man doing it. Why can't I do it? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like this. But the point, the thing is, because we are made to believe these things are only possible by. I don't believe that. I don't want him to believe that. Yeah. Everything is possible by you. Yeah. They you call know? it a, a, an, a, a limited belief. Yeah. Limited yeah. belief. Yeah. You know. Um, I've broken from some of those, and you can tell whenever you have, like, a limiting. I mean, I think every deckhand goes through that phase of being a captain, right? Mm. It's like you have that limiting belief. Is like you, Some people might. Some are you going to make not. it? Are you, you going to yeah. make it? Yeah. I don't think I can do it. But it's like you said. You always look at the guy over there, and it's like, if he can do it, I can yeah. definitely do it. Yeah. You know? Well, and I also don't want him to think that he can do it because somebody else can do it. I want him to have a very clear separation of who he is. Yeah. He can do, I can it, do it because it even, he can do it. I can do it even when I'm a baby. <laughs> he can do it because he can do it. He can do it because he is he. Right. You know? Right, yeah. Right. You're not me. You're you. Yeah. I'm me. Yeah. <laughs> well, guys, we're, we are coming up on almost an hour, probably a little over. Um, but I want to ask you, like, what all have you caught since you've been here? And, like, who have you fished with? Because, like, I know a lot of the people listening would like to hear what guides um, you fished with. And Captain Joey Walter. Captain Joey Davis and Walter Heathcock. Mm-hmm. They both have been on the podcast. Yep. That's really cool. <laughs> and Travis. Don't forget our man, Travis. Travis, yeah. Yeah. With Joey, yeah. 
And um, we got to give a shout out to Captain Eddie. Eddie Berger? Yeah. Yeah, he was on as well. Okay. And uh, now this name I would not know. Who is the captain who gave us, actually you would know, I think he's with Mexican Gulf. The captain who gave us the live pogies that you caught the marlin on. Was it Chad or? No, it wasn't Chad. Matt or? He has orangish hair. Uh, Jordan? Ellis? With the orange. What Orange, is it orange uh, what are those suits Wait. you guys wear? Wait, wait, uh, waiters. Oh, the uh, the slickers. Um, I think I think it was Chad. I don't no, know. it's not Chad because I know Chad. Oh, okay. uh, yeah, um, we. It was one of us, but he gave y'all some bait out there. So you were out that y'all were out there fishing with Captain Joey and Travis, and tell us what happened. So. And first of all, before we share this story, uh, whether it is um. You know, at the end of the day, it is business for you guys, right? But from my perspective and from giving him worldly experiences, I really appreciated the non-competitive nature in this moment. I've witnessed competitive also here. But in this exact moment, I really appreciated the non-competitive, the non-business, you know, and the friendship to come first before everything else that um, he gave, Nayland, tell the story now. So I thought, so somebody across Travis and um, Joey's boat, when we were, was Joey and Travis? Somebody from Gulf Shores. Uh, Mexican Gulf. Mexican Gulf. Gave us like pogies. Oh, okay. And so we were using frozen body hoo. Oh, okay. <laughs> Across, I was like, wait a sec. They're just sending us water. <laughs> and then then he gave us I some looked bait. in that live while we were like. He's all about live bait. He doesn't. <laughs> yeah. It's either that or artificials. And Me too. I love live bait. Yeah, and we had been using mullet. Well, live, you know, uh, and that—that's the thing. You don't know what they're biting, and in yeah. that moment, and he caught you caught your black fin, and your yellow fin on that. A ball, what is Body it? Hoo. You Body caught it hoo. on that, didn't you? Yeah. Yeah, but no, no. Oh no, you didn't get a yellow fin. You caught all your black fin on that. Black fin trolling. Yeah. Yes. Trolling. Yeah. No. Wait. Oh yeah. Yeah. We were using the pogies and we caught the yellow. Fin. Yes, 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 yeah. And then what else did you guys catch? Black fin tuna. What about the sharks you caught? Oh. <laughs> Shark bait. <laughs> <laughs> and I got one vermilion. One vermilion. Huh? And that was it. Oh, wait. And the... Uh, Bonita? Yeah, you caught... How many of those? Four. Four, Four. Bonitas. What about, the, what about the marlin? Marlin mm. was on the... What's that? Live pogey? Pogey. Live pogey. Yeah. So, guys, Naylin caught a tagged white marlin. I don't... I white. don't know if... White. Yeah, it was a white marlin. I've never... I've asked some... Uh, just to tell you how rare that is. I've talked to some captains that have been marlin fishing for longer than 20 years and have never caught a tag marlin. <laughs> I've never caught one. That's extremely rare catch, man. That's really cool. And I hope – I know you said Joey hasn't uh, – they don't know where it was tagged at right now, huh? He had submitted whatever yeah, paperwork he, he has to. Yeah, he submitted it, yeah. yeah. I, I heard of one that was 
uh, tagged in the Gulf, and it was recaptured somewhere up the East Coast, which is oh. really cool. <laughs> oh, yeah. I'd, I'd like to know where, where it came from. Yeah, we're excited about that. And when um, Joey and Travis were so, when he reeled it in and saw what it was, they were so excited. And so they said, Nalan, you, uh, do you want to, how did they say it? Something about, do you want to... Um, get a trophy made or in his mind it was about taking this fish the only association he had was about getting the fish and getting it mounted and he's very he is against that you know he doesn't want living beings in that sense so that was also really cool to see the conversation between these guys because hold on one second we'll ask Irie how she feels as the fishing dog <laughs> Irie the fishing dog just came back inside the camper okay um, she said feeling tired and hot <laughs> um, so yeah so then that was a really cool conversation for them to have with him that they were not talking about keeping him and killing him and then mounting him they took measurements and uh, they're gonna get the acrylic or whatever sir how, wha- the how fiberglass mount yeah. fiberglass mount Gray's taxidermy shout out to them <laughs> yeah so actually yeah that's where and it's in florida it's yeah, yeah. right down the road from us so we're gonna go pick it up from there awesome so, you are getting it mounted that's awesome yeah <laughs> That's super cool. So uh, one thing I always uh, like to touch on at the end of every podcast is conservation. Mm. And uh, I know we've talked about a little bit, but like what more do you guys think we could do to like better protect the resource? And I'll, like, I'll probably chime in a little bit as well. But like what more do you guys think we could do to like let fishing release, release fish? Oh, great let one. fishing keep uh, keep going and let never he has for the next year. Let's ask him, and I don't know how much of it will come out right now on the spot, but he has a lot of ideas, and these are the types of things that come up at night. And he'll ask me, "Oh, why don't they do this? Why don't they do this?" And I'm like, "I don't know, you know." Mm-hmm. Um, but Nalan, um, the question is: so you've gone to the marina, you've seen many of these charter captains come in with their yeah what 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 else can they do to help conservation like make it still keep going so that my kids your kids everybody can oh i wouldn't catch wild caught fish if i was going to help the wild i would only (laughs) do farm raised fishing only farm raised Hmm. that's an interesting concept okay what else keep less fish release more fish that's a big one for him. He doesn't think you should always reach your limit. Do not pollute it. Yeah, don't like make the limit the goal, right? Yeah, don't make the limit. It, no matter, <coughs> even if they're having the greatest day and the best day and they're biting. Um, like yesterday, I had my best day I, ever. I, th- I think you guys know exactly what it is. It's like value the experience, not the not the the killing but not everyone else does like we understand as a guide you might have people on your boat who are coming from wherever and you know they're like man they're on fire and they're biting and i don't know what the limit is but they all you're coming back with 18 tunas yeah you know and that's really unnecessary they don't need to no they don't and i think everybody everybody that fishes has to come up with a goal of why you're fishing. Like my, my, like I, what I tell myself all the time is, is that I want to provide experiences for people on the water. Uh-huh. And that I hope that that will stick with me for a long time. So that means that I don't necessarily have to kill fish in order to provide, uh, experiences for people on the water well and i I think that you can go a little further because what is the experience you're providing otherwise people think the experience is catching 
right. and that's catching the fish, yeah, you know, exactly. when there are so many other experiences to be had, yeah. you know, and, on and, the water. And, but that's, I mean, to me, I value eating fish a lot. That's yeah. something that's very, very important to me. And whenever I catch fish, I put them in the cooler and I bleed every single one of them. I show everybody that I'm bleeding these fish because to me, that shows the amount of respect that you have for the fish because whenever you bleed them, they last longer, they taste better, and you'll actually... What does that mean? Bleeding means getting all the blood out. How do they do that? So what I do, everybody does it. There's a, a few different ways to do it, but really what I do is I slush my box so like it's ice and water, and then whenever I put the fish in there, I poke the right, there's like a membrane right behind its gills, and if you po poke that, it opens their chest cavity and all the blood comes out into the mm -hmm. ice, ice water. And that's, to me, it's really important because if you don't do that, whenever you cut the fillet, you'll actually see a little bit of blood come off the fillet itself. And a lot of other places around the country, Alaska, I know they, they're very, and on the west coast of like California and stuff, they're very persistent on bleeding all their fish. But for some reason down here, we just, Nayland, it's not. <coughs> can you show him your fish book over here, please? Can you get it? It's While he's getting that, um, I'll add that if he had that experience it would your fish restaurant book the oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. that would amplify his fishing experience because he watches these kind of things he knows what that is you know um we don't always get to experience that so he wants to see captains doing things like that because he's very big into the food part and the book he's looking for is a um, australian chef who is huge into fish, like his entire restaurant, all it is is fishing. And he used to be a fisherman. And now what he does is nothing on the menu. You don't know what the menu is because his fisherman could be out there with the intention of catching, I don't know, tuna, and all they're getting is swords. So that menu for that day is based on the call he gets on what the catch is and how they prepare it and the inspection of the gills and making sure the blood flow is... Uh, I'll look for it in a second. You know, all these things. So he's very knowledgeable and curious about that. And those are the types of things he'll bring up at night. Why didn't they do that? They should have blooded this fish. I don't know what it means, but I ask him and he'll tell me. Um, another thing that really can ex amplify the experience and it not just being catching fish. And I, maybe this doesn't apply to everyone, but it would, it's something I've learned through him. If I was a captain, I would be doing these type of things for sure. Um, he is huge into, um, he loves to know what is a, what is th that fish that he is targeting? What is their diet? What do, what do they, that fish's diet, what does it comprise of? So that's why he loves spending that time in the marina when they come to look at the stomach and see mm -hmm. what the fish have see eaten, you know? Yeah. So then for him, fishing means give them what is part of their diet, Okay. And he loves part of catching tuna if it included fishing for the bait that is part of their diet first. So it's not all just going for this big catch. It's trying to understand the whole that living organism and how it lives and replicating that for the catch. That's why he doesn't care if he doesn't catch it, but he gave it the food source and caught all the food source. And he's had some very exceptional captains who've done that that have his fishing experience has been very different than just um r catching the fish the other thing is you know when you have somebody who is knowledgeable letting them exercise their knowledge we're not we're not paying 
we're not paying um, for a catch. We're paying for an experience. And I would love when he's on a boat, when if he has an idea like of something that's not working and you guys are exhausting, you know, or the captain is exhausting, like no doing what he knows to do, but it's not working. And then he has an idea, yeah. you know, because that's a huge win. Yeah. The fact I, I, I think that a lot of times, especially the guides down here are fishing gets really good and you get a lot of people that, that want the, their limit seekers, right? Yeah. They, they want their limit and to go back. But I don't know, to me, what I've always told a lot of people is that, like, I want my people to come back. Like, it's, it's, the idea for me is that we, you come back, you know, time after time, we learn together and we have goals. So, yes. like, we have, like, this ultimate fish that you want to catch and you might, it might take 10 times for yeah. you to come. We might not never catch it. Yeah. But you build up a friendship and a relationship yes. and you have a lot of experiences over that time. Yeah. And then that's what it's really all about. And yeah. whenever it finally happens, you'll get this huge feeling. I've, I've experienced it lots of times in my life. And, it's, and it's you try <laughs> and try and try <laughs> to catch one fish. Exactly. One fish. It like, doesn't even matter if it's what, one If you fish. could catch anything in the whole wide world, like, you know, anything, what would it be? Any, anything. <laughs> anything. Tuna. My like big your goal biggest is tuna. What's your big goal? Wahoo. Oahu, huh? That's one of my favorite fish to catch. Why? <laughs> I love them. I, I like to spear them a lot. That's one of my favorite fish to spear fish. What is your favorite? Probably That's probably my favorite. To spear fish, that's probably my favorite. Redfish? No. Oahu. Oahu. I think there's a really cool opportunity for Venice to become a... Like when we were in Alabama, we were in Dauphin Island... And there's the sea lab there, you mm -hmm. know. Have you ever been there? Yeah, yeah. I used to work. I used to work on a boat out there. Oh yeah. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, there's opportunity for research-based organizations to come here and honor the livelihood and of, of fishing, you know, and bring their expertise. I'm sure yeah. they would be conflict, you know, for many. Um, but this is really an untapped area. It you is, know, yeah. and maintained by a lot of uh, opinion, you know, and researchers and science have their place. And sometimes they restrict a lot of what might be known to the layman's person, the experienced person, the person who has, yeah. you know what I mean? So there's that conflict there. Yeah, too. One of the most aggravating things with that is like, uh, for me anyways, I don't know if everybody would agree, but like uh, the limit for Rangrove snappers, 10 per person, right? Mm. So if you have six on your boat, you can keep 60 of them. A lot of people say that's, you know, that's a lot. Yeah. But the science says that we have enough to do that because that's what they base the limits off of is the science and they, the stock assessments that are actually out there. But here's the thing. And again, somebody <coughs> who doesn't understand that piece of it, doesn't know the fishing piece of it, right? And I'm applying my knowledge of a species I understand to this. If there was a lot of mangrove snappers, one, first of all, the reason there is is because there's a massive amount of work and conscious effort in artificial reef building to increase their population and other snappers. When you think about it, there's so many. So you can actually stop or limit or lessen the artificial reef building if you there's evidence that supports as a result it has attracted or increased the population of these snappers okay on the other hand if there's an increase of those snappers there is a predator for them so wouldn't the predator take care aside from us as a predator isn't there other predators in the ocean who would take that food you know and keep those numbers 
low in check yeah in for check. sure that's the way it's supposed to work but we're not the only ones to keep those you know so i would say i would almost defer to the predators that exist in their natural environment to control those numbers and lessen the numbers we keep let's see that evidence actually support itself let's see the numbers I increase i would disagree disagree a little bit just because i i really do feel that we are part of the environment that we are we are we as humans are supposed to eat fish well, i don't disagree yeah but we're not supposed to kill fish just to kill fish and no. that's what we're like, discussing okay. right now and that and that and that and killing a stingray for no reason just for catching a fish okay right. so what he's talking about like right what now? we just did. right that what that's what exactly what i was getting at is that the science says that we have enough to keep 10 per person me as an angler i would like to see them go down because i don't think that we need that many in order to have a good experience on the water if you oh, kept to eat forget a good experience to eat yeah. do you really need that many no. and plus <laughs> if there's that many i would say fishing's good you can go get them anytime why do you need to get them all now yeah you know go again go again yeah <laughs> you know because isn't that healthier yeah. anyway that you're getting fresh fish to but eat? that that's why i think that we have to have people come together from both sides science yes in that and say well what's the right amount yeah you and know? it should and always it, be revisited because none of this stuff yeah. stays constant you yeah. know so yeah. even if that was true maybe it's different right now um but i can tell you a big part of what i've experienced even with him is the recklessness that goes on behind it uh when it's so exciting again catching beyond what you should keep yeah. um and catching ones that really even though in terms of measurement i would say who says so say let's use redfish as an example yeah. okay and say that they are as prolof, uh, prolific as the snapper if they are let's change the size limit let's go from 16 to 20 yeah you know to make it less yeah, um, to make it less yeah you, you know what i mean mess with those kind of numbers tuna for example i don't know it doesn't seem to me there's any size limit people are reeling in these wahoo. tuna like for example inches, there's no you can keep wahoo at 2 inches or 100 in yeah you're right okay well that's a problem <laughs> you know what i mean like if that's true or tuna we the number of tuna we've seen get pulled in yeah that's it that's a lot like up the yep. measurement or that's make like it how many buttons are on here yeah Double. i i think Three that points. a lot of people try and justify the amount of money that you spend you know what i mean you want to have something to show for it and if you got six guys on the boat six different families they can justify everybody has a different reason hey, that's I what i find everybody paying, has a different reason i'm in this situation paying for one kid to fish at the <laughs> same amount that six <laughs> others are splitting so i understand yeah, that piece yeah, yeah. but there's other ways to justify it yeah, than is. the catch yeah, you know is. and 100% and that also begins from the education the captain can give in other words if the captain makes me feel that my money is spent on catching it's very different than we've had a captain who like i said spent hours before catching the different kinds of bait fish following it around letting him ride the boat teaching him the different buttons on the thing letting him choose whatever contraption hook and bait and put all that I would pay for that just yeah. as much as I would if he brought home a tuna. You know, I start complaining when there's not a catch and there's not that experience. 
Yeah. You see what I'm saying? Then I say, just give me the catch. Because yes, people then want the value, you know? But I believe the people who are coming here are not only coming to catch that big tuna. There's an entire, they are also coming for that experience you talk about. I think that the experience is being more claimed in the catch than it is in other aspects of the experience that yeah, can be had. I agree with that too. And like I say it all the time is like whenever I dive, I think that people should like find other ways to find enjoyment out there. I mean, I know people, a lot of people would say it'd be unsafe or something, but if after you catch all your fish, why not get them snorkel around the rig or something you know like i do that with my clients all the time i put them in the water and let them see where we were fishing let them look at all the fish that we were just catching you know and they that whenever that happens and somebody really grabs onto it it's like they just found something they never thought they yeah. would find you know yeah. it's it's amazing yeah you know yeah but uh I found that. one more thing i, I want to tell you and this is just because like i don't know it's it's always been important to me but i really believe that um, through uh, conservation like the oil rigs out there making more reefs I really think that that's like <clears throat> it's it, I think it's the uh, the one of the last few sources of really good food that we'll have because mm -hmm. if they could actually build like say some rich person like Jeff Bezos wanted to build his own rig out there and his own thing that's building an entire ecosystem from the from the floor up you know and i me personally i believe that those that 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 makes more fish so if there's anything that i think we can do it, it's making more reefs because that's better for the commercial sector that's better for the people that just want the experience and that's better for your recreational people that want to you know go out there and take fish so and fish well, and Ed, how and do you involve that. the community like us, the, the the people who are coming to visit in the reef building? You know, um, yeah. we met a captain who that's where we first learned about artificial reef building. He's very much involved in it. His dad was involved in it. And they take chicken, these chicken coop things mm -hmm. on uh, trucks, you know, they'll take those out and they'll throw them in. I wanted him to go and be involved in that to actually see that, you know? Um, and again, that is a charter trip. That is, yeah, you know what I mean? Experience, that's yeah. an experience. I would rather put him on that than yeah. everything, just our only options right now being go a, catch. A lot of it has to do with laws and stuff, you know? Like they, they bend the laws for them to go out there and drill for oil, but you can't just go dump stuff anywhere you want. They have yeah. permitted areas and stuff. There's a lot. There is. There's a lot. But if you're involved reefs. in that, th are, which are you? Uh, not currently. Okay. I, I did like growing up over in Mississippi. I do have aspirations to though, mm. like get more involved with it. I, they've they've done um, the Mississippi Gulf Fishing Banks has, and the Louisiana uh, Wildlife and Fisheries. They they do a lot of uh, a lot of things with you know making reefs and and. Uh, develop in the marsh in different ways uh but you're right i i think <laughs> i guess i get so busy on a lot of the things that i focus on well you know what we did here a couple of days ago um i think a lot that i feel like i could help by talking about it like the podcast yeah. to get people to see that there there should be a huge incentive for making more reefs because yeah. i think a lot of people just don't even like have any headspace for it at all they don't see they don't see the amount of life that it creates like i do you i think I mean? you and have I a huge opportunity to embark on um because um when you think about the debris that this little 
area collects due to the hurricanes mm-hmm. you know um these crab traps that have floated away and all these piles of wood and all the stuff you know all that stuff can be repurposed and i'm not talking about even just deep water reefs but the other day we had a really good experience where uh, our neighbor and i uh, well us we collected the crab traps that have just been tossed by the wind and we pulled them all out um and it was a lot of heavy work you know but we pulled them all out and we've lined them underneath the dock so now that when we fish from the dock our fishing um lines are not getting caught and we've put them reuse them under the dock where hopefully it collects bait fish and we've been chumming inside those crab traps okay now this is completely we are not mentored this is on our own yeah knowledge imagine if this was a so called camp or so called actual thing to do i would sign him up and there are so many parents like me who are not schooling their children forget it or even are schooling their children who would sign up for summer camps winter camps all year round camps yeah. where you are going and picking up all this debris that's on the road like slabs of wood and plywood and all this stuff you know and have a workshop where they are building you know so called reefs and then building um uh Yeah. You know what I mean? There's so many opportunities There, here. You could you could I, the, the building something that would actually withstand being out there is yeah. like I mean a lot of the things that we would sink is like after after Hurricane Katrina a lot of the bridge rubble and stuff would go out or like we've sunk uh, old shrimp boats and and tanks and stuff. There I just think that they're They sink. They make a new home. Yeah, exactly. You give fish more homes just like we give people more homes. They yeah. make more fish, right? Make <laughs> more babies, yeah, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's a great concept. problem to be part of. This plastic in there, that does not make a home. Yeah, exactly. A piece of rock makes does tons make a home. of homes. It yeah. does. It does. Piece of rock. Well, guys, I really appreciate you guys doing this podcast with me. I learned Thank a ton you. from you guys, and pleasure. it's yeah. very cool to see uh, you teaching your son through experiences. I hope that more people can start learning through experiences. I think mm. everybody already does, yes. but just talking about it, trust in it, and trust in yes. it. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. it's so important. Well, thank you. I'll have a good one. Thanks for listening, everybody. Please give us a follow on Facebook or Instagram at Tunatown Talks. Also, if you'd like to book a charter with me, you can do so by visiting our website at mgfishing.com. That's Mexican Gulf website, where you'll find my online booking calendar with all my open dates. And remember, guys, always be safe while out on the water. Man.